Peter wants to somehow control this blessing. He wants to hang on to the moment of glory and maybe forget about all the talk of rejection and suffering and dying. And who can blame him? Can't this be the way the story ends? Does it have to be so hard? Can it end here on this mountain with Moses and Elijah and Jesus in the center in this blazing glory? Scars and struggles on the way I'm guessing that a few of you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday. Uh, maybe a few of you were even lucky enough to be there. Anyone? Nobody wants to admit it. I've heard of a few that were there. Uh, and at least the game was good enough this year to compete with the halftime commercials, which are always highly anticipated, right? Uh, the halftime show was also a big deal every year would justin timberlake this year sing live or would he lip sync uh which mandatory prince tribute would he choose right and he surprised most people with that one uh would there be some sort of you know wardrobe malfunction you know there's a lot of attention when the whole world is watching and it's a live performance and then of course there's the game itself and the halftime Adjustments made by the coaches and, and the teams are uh, critical. Uh, Philadelphia went in at halftime with the lead, but no lead is safe against the Patriots in a big game like that. Everybody was aware of that. Uh, so it was an exciting uh, uh, game to watch, regardless of uh, the Vikings not being there. Um, and I always think of Transfiguration uh, as a kind of halftime in... Uh, the journey of the disciples following Jesus. It brings us to the pinnacle, the summit of Epiphany, right? The season of Epiphany. Uh, and then it turns and hands us off to Lent. Uh, Epiphany started with a bright a star high in the eastern sky. And the season ends today high on this mountain. From a cloud, a voice is heard booming forth, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Peter and James and John, we are told, were terrified when they had this powerful, mystical vision of the glory of Jesus and heard that booming voice. And I have no idea what some kind of experience like that might, might be like, but I'm guessing you and I would also be fairly freaked out by it. According to Mark's halftime report, the ministry of Jesus is, is not faring very well at, at this point. The transfiguration really happens in a season of gloom. Jesus has been labeled a, a blasphemer. He's accused of demon possession. He's doubted by his friends, rejected by his own hometown, resisted by the very people he came to serve and to save. There are murder plots brewing, which we know will eventually come to fruition and in the midst of all of this, Jesus takes Peter and James and John apart, away for a time of prayer up this mountain. And from this high place, uh, from this transfiguration mountain, we can look back and we can see other peaks, other high places of God's profound presence, power, and graciousness as Jesus appears in this blinding uh, 
revelation of glory with Moses and Elijah, we can see Mount Sinai back there in the distant past where the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the gift of the law was given, right? And Moses brought it to the people and God said, this is how you will be a blessing to the nations. This is how you will be a blessing not only to the people of Israel, but a blessing to the nations. We can also see as we experience the vision of Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, at the time when he was running from Queen Jezebel for his own life and he was hoping for some indication that God was there, he looked for God's voice, listened in the tempest, in the whirlwind, but finally God would be revealed in, in, in the still small voice up there on that mountain as we look back from this high place. Transfiguration. In this peak, we hear the voice once again of God declare, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And we are reminded, therefore, the last time we heard that voice echoing across the distance when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And God said, this is my son, my chosen, with whom I am well pleased. And immediately upon coming out of the waters of the Jordan River, Jesus was led by Satan to a high place. Remember? Another peak there in the not-so-distant past. And there Satan tempts Jesus, essentially saying to Jesus, it doesn't have to be so hard, Jesus. It doesn't have, what's all this talk of rejection and suffering and dying? Just bow to me and I will put you in charge of all the kingdoms of the world. And imagine what kind of ruler you could be, Jesus. How just and fair. How you could feed the hungry. How you could heal the sick. It doesn't have to be so hard. But sometimes it is hard. And we have several families here among our own fellowship who are experiencing that reality even at this moment. And if it's not hard for you personally at this moment, you can be sure that your neighbor is struggling. And you have been called to love your neighbor as yourself. Satan tempted, don't make things so difficult, Jesus. I'll place you in charge. And that right there, that temptation is constantly being whispered in our ear. You can handle it. You don't need God. You can live out your life of faith without the community, without the church. In fact, the temptation goes on. Things can be glorious. Your faith can be fired by the presence of Christ so powerful that you'll be driven to the ground. Yes, in fear. But isn't fear better than doubt? Isn't knowing better than wondering? Have you had such an experience? A moment when you just knew that God was there with you, that you had somehow stumbled onto holy ground? 
Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked Peter, You are the Messiah. And Jesus begins to tell and teach his disciples what it's going to cost for him to be the Messiah. That it will, in fact, involve rejection and suffering and dying before he is raised to new life. This transfiguration rises as one inspiring moment above the painful ones that come before and those about to take place. And above all this foreshadowing of dark things, above all the scary things that are soon to follow, today's mountain rises above a brooding plain, and Jesus takes Peter and James and John up to a lonely mountain to pray. And there on that mountain, they experience a glorious and terrifying moment of God's presence. And Peter says, in effect, let's stay up here on this incredible mountain. Let's remain in this blessing. Let's make three little chapels, Jesus. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And and make it a place and an experience that we can return to, you know, whenever we need it. Peter wants to somehow control this blessing. He wants to hang on to the moment of glory and maybe forget about all the talk of rejection and suffering and dying. And who can blame him? Can't this be the way the story ends? Does it have to be so hard? Can it end here on this mountain with Moses and Elijah and Jesus in the center in this blazing glory? Jan Richardson whose poetry we've been reading during this past season, has a poem called Dazzling, written on just this verse. Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. She writes, Believe me, I know how tempting it is to remain inside this blessing, to linger where everything is dazzling and clear, We could build walls around this blessing, put a roof over it. We could bring in a table, chairs, have the most amazing meals. We could make a home. We could stay. But this blessing is built for leaving. This blessing is made for coming down the mountain. This blessing wants to be in motion to travel with you as you return to level ground. It will seem strange how quiet this blessing becomes when it returns to earth. It is not shy. It is not afraid. It simply knows how to bide its time, to watch and wait, to discern and pray until the moment comes when it will reveal everything it knows when it will shine forth with all it has seen, when it will dazzle with the unforgettable light you have carried all this way. After the glorious and inspirational halftime on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus leads his followers back into the game, back down the mountain, 
They no sooner get down the mountain when they are surrounded by needy crowds and a distraught parent comes looking for help from Jesus for his child. So Peter and James and John and you and I continue following. And as we've looked back to Moses and Elijah from this Mount of Transfiguration, we look forward where there is one hill yet to climb, one peak. It's called Mount Calvary, and Jesus knows this one he must climb alone. Because his followers, his closest friends, when that moment comes, in the midst of the rejection and the suffering and the dying, they will run for their lives. They will run out of fear. They will run because they doubt, and they will hide away. But on that final peak, on the Mount of Calvary, Jesus will take upon himself all of our sinfulness, all of our doubtfulness, all of our aggression, our violence, the worst that humanity can muster, Jesus will say, I will take it from you. Do it to me. And there on that mountain, alone, Jesus will die with our brokenness to give us back new life. It is not the ending that we would have chosen. We would have ended it up there on that mountain in power and glory, or at least skipped past all of this dying and rejection to get to Easter morning. But God knew that a story without the cross would never be good enough. That story would never be true enough. The theology of glory, of prosperity, will never run deep enough. We need a God willing to meet us even in the valley of the shadow of death. We need a Christ willing to climb into the dirty water of the Jordan River with us so that when the voice of God booms from the clouds saying this is my beloved child that voice is talking to us because Jesus has said in his own baptism I'm with her I'm with him this one is mine we need a better ending and we're going to get it.